for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, grab, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! And the handoff to Tomlinson, left side, and he will gallop into the end zone! Charger fans are witnesses to history! Welcome in to the Blitz Podcast. Today we are talking the 16th ranked New York Giants. Sorry if my enthusiasm is wearing because we have been troubleshooting technical difficulties for the better part of the last hour. So for the fourth time, I introduce to you our guest, Peter Schof, uh, resident Giants fan, friend of the pod. Uh, Peter, how are we doing? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's been an hour, but uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. We're hanging in there. You know, morale is high. I'm ready to get started. Let's uh, Let's do this. Yeah, we're going to like run through this as fast as we possibly can, so that way the internet doesn't go out. So, we're going to move on to the quarterback situation in the Big Apple. And that starts with Daniel Jones, uh, who had a pretty good season last year, had the highest PFF grade of his career to this point, uh, led the Giants to the playoffs, and you know that was definitely, I think this is the highest the public opinion has been on Daniel Jones in a very long time. Um, you know, we went from the years of him falling over on the big runs and all that stuff. He was kind of just a meme for a little bit, but, uh, Peter, I know you've got some stuff to say, so I'm gonna pass it over to you. So, yeah, thanks. But so Daniel Jones as a fan, perspective, you know, this is by far the most exciting we've ever seen him, um, as a player. Uh, you know, it, it's nice to see some, some improvement, um, definitely on the field and we can get into the numbers in a minute. But um, on the field, it, it it's very refreshing as a fan to see, you know, such a such a large leap um, be taken. Now, I think you know one of the biggest things is sort of his role on the field uh, has definitely greatly increased, and I think a lot of that does come from you know Brian Dayball, the coaching staff. Um, they definitely have a, a a large a large piece in why he has succeeded, and I think another. Part of that is uh, having Saquon as well. Um, having Saquon, you know, take some of the pressure off Daniel Jones and makes him a, an actual serious, uh, verifiable threat in the run game, which I think really helps sort of his play style. So from a fan perspective, it's really, really awesome to see that. It's about time. Um, you know, we've only been waiting three years for him to really step it up. So, uh, um, you know... I'm excited. I'm excited to see kind of where he goes. Now, um, you want to get into the numbers now? All right, cool. So, uh, thing, you know, I, I mean, I, I say that he's improved, but I think um, kind of kind of the big step recently improved uh, is in the in the passing game. Uh, I think that's kind of where we started to see some, some or where it was more of a. He need more of a. I think that's where we really need to see him um, step it up. Last season, uh, he threw for three thousand two hundred and five yards, um, which is not like crazy numbers, but it's respectable numbers. I like to think. But compared to um, previous seasons, I mean, he had been on a downtrend starting in twenty nineteen, where he made it. He just barely broke three thousand, and then the past two years, not breaking. Uh, not breaking 3,000, and 
2021, not even breaking 2,500. So, uh, you know, it's nice to see. It's nice to see a, finally an uptrend in that. Um, but uh, this is also his first season where he did play all the games in this season. Uh, he did see that. He did sit out week 18 against the Eagles. But, um, you know, it, he. He finally has played all 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 the games that he was necessary to play in, and in doing so, he cleared his last uh, like his the closest season he's had to this season in all purpose yards. He cleared by nearly six hundred yards. So you know it's definitely definitely a big jump. I would say I don't know how it looks like from the outside. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, and I actually misspoke. So this was not actually the highest graded uh, season of his career for PFF. He was actually a seventy-eight point four in twenty twenty. Was a seventy-six this past season, but was the highest graded rush, uh, his highest graded running grade uh, of his career. And he's also got this weird trend where he, uh, as far as rushing grade goes, he had a fifty-nine in year one, a seventy-eight in year two, a fifty-seven in year three, and then an eighty-one in year four. So. Maybe it maybe do for a bit of a regression just based on uh, what the what the history has been so far. But who knows? He, I will say, like just watching from an NFL fan's perspective, it was a different Daniel Jones last year, and I do think that that a lot of that can be attributed to Brian Dayball coming in and like adding what he brought to Buffalo there. I think like I remember last offseason, and we'll talk about the coaching in a little bit was. Dayball was my favorite hire of last offseason. I think he's a phenomenal coach, and that proved out to be, you know, he uh, obviously went on to go win coach of the year for this team after leading them to the playoffs. Uh, but I definitely, you know, I was very impressed, you know, pleasantly surprised a little bit with Daniel Jones this past season. Uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on before we move on from quarterback? Uh, well, yeah, I, I kind of have some spots where I thought he there. There are some elements where I thought he really did um, contribute a lot, so or improved a lot. So one of them was definitely protecting the football. Yeah, I think this year he did a he did a much better job of protecting the football. Um, this season alone, he only accounted for six turnovers in sixteen games. So that's a pretty significant. Uh, is that just with fumbles, or is that with picks too? That is with picks too. Oh shit! Okay. So he has five interceptions and uh, two fumbles, but only one of them lost mm -hmm. in sixteen games. So that's that's huge. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a big improvement. In twenty nineteen, he accounted for fifteen total uh, turnovers. Twenty twenty, he accounted for twelve total turnovers, and in twenty twenty one, he accounted for eight. So we're we're starting to see that you know that uh. The turnover numbers are still steadily dropping. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get better than six. I mean, that's really hard to do if you're going to start, you know, slinking yeah. the ball a little bit more. But uh, the more risk you take, obviously, the more the more chances the ball is going to get picked off. But um, it's still it's still nice to see that. I mean, in he's he's done a better job because in 2019, obviously, fumbling was his problem. He had six fumbles with three lost. And regardless of regardless of if you lose the ball or not, if you fumble the football, the play's dead. Yeah, and play ends when dead. you're fumbling a lot, that's going to lead to just like higher likelihood that you actually end up losing the football and turn the ball over. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, he's he's definitely worked on protecting the ball, and I had seen a lot of accounts over the past, or yeah, a, a lot of reports over the last couple of years of him really working on that in practice. Um, and so it's nice to see those. 
you know, that actual effort being put forward and actually coming through and seeing it in the numbers. Um, another place where I think he really, really, really kind of turned it up was sort of his relevance in the offense. Um, I mean, that was helped by scheme and Dayball. Um, but just, just in his first down numbers, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of evidence to show that he's taken a, a big, big leap there as well. Um, in 2022, I mean, he accounted for 213 first downs, uh, 156 passing, 56 ru- or 57 rushing. Um, and then in 20, but that's up from 2021 where he only accounted for 132. So, um, big changes, big changes there. Uh, if you need me to jump in, seems just, like it's, uh, you know, just let me know. But, yeah, it seems like it was frozen. I know, we're Sorry. good. We're good. I know it's, I'm sure you're scarred mentally from uh, the internet problems. Yeah, I was like, had. I like, I, I heard you, I heard you slowing down and you were like, but we're all good. Yeah, yeah, you were frozen, not coming through. But um, yeah, as I was saying, the the offensive relevance. You know, in 2022, again, 213 total first downs, 156 in the air, 56 rushing. Um, now he's had other seasons where he's had similar numbers as far as throwing first downs, or like first downs through the air. But he cleared closest rushing first downs by 38. The next, the, the next closest he had been was his rookie season where he had 21 on the ground. but um, and, he, and in total first downs even, he's cleared by almost 40 total. So, you know, there's, there's definitely significantly more involved in the scheme. Um, and with the addition of Saquon there, it, it helps pretty substantially for, you know, the Giants offense. And I think it kind of shows how much of a piece he really does play when paired with Saquon and that sort of dual threat running um that sort of dual threat running option is there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, do you uh, got some more? You you you're really hitting us with the stats, man. Like I I don't think we've ever had this many like uh as far as like deep numbers and stuff go, like you're really pulling out all the stops here. Well, I mean, it's it's well. First of all, he's yeah. my QB. I got I got to know the stuff. If I'm going to come here and talk about him, I got to know the stuff. But um, you know, I, I got a couple other positives, and then I do have some things that obviously still need to be worked on. I'm not one of those Giants fans that's like Daniel Jones is the second coming of Eli yeah. Manning or Peyton Manning or all these people or Tom Brady or whatever. Like whatever garbage. We're not winning the Super Bowl this year. That, that's for sure. But. You know, um, I think if we get back to the playoffs, that's a that's a success for Daniel Jones. That's a success for the Giants, especially with the schedule that we have. Um, but a couple things, a couple things that I you know should be noted, especially as far as his his improvement, is that he's never had a wide receiver one, much less really a wide receiver two. Mm-hmm. Um, Still does uh, all the guys that he has are solid wide receiver threes, except for Mary, maybe Darius Slayton. Who you could say is a and wide receiver I th- too. I think Shepard's a wide receiver too in the league when he's healthy. Yeah, when he's healthy, but he's been out the past like three, four seasons. Yeah. So um, that, that I I really can't count Shep. I love Shep. I love Shep, but I can't count Shep as 
a reliable wide receiver right now. Um, it's a run. It's also a run first team. Um, offense goes through Saquon. Uh, he's putting up three thousand passing yards with you know a, a run heavy heavy offense. I'm yeah. I'm overjoyed with that. You know, like that makes me happy. And then also he was sacked the fifth most last season. He had, he was sacked forty four times. Um, a lot of that comes from Evan Neal, which we'll get into later. But I do, you know, I have high hopes for this season. But um, you know, Evan Neal as a rookie, it, it would be it would be uh, remiss to say he didn't have a bad rookie year. Yeah, and like you know, like he struggled. Yeah, and I love Neal coming out. He was, I think, my third player in that class. Um, I really liked Evan Neal a lot. I was pretty psyched for the Giants because Kayvon Thibodeau, I believe, was either my second or first graded player. So like I was like Giants A plus draft, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't pretty last year. I'll say that much. It was not a lot of a lot of pressures. Um, what was nice about him is that he didn't give up a lot of immediate pressure. Mm-hmm. So Daniel Jones still had the opportunity to get the ball out, but he was still giving up a lot of sacks and a lot of a lot of pressure from that that right side. Um, now the bad for Daniel Jones, the the things that still need to be worked on. He needs to score the ball. He needs to score. I don't get like I have I have written in in my notes in all caps draft Gano because we we kick so many field goals because drives just burn out at the end of them. We'll get to the opponent's thirty and then just sit and not move. And so he he has. What does it say? What did I write down? He has the same clutchness as Nathan Peterman. So, so yeah, we need. There's flashes, but it needs to be consistent. It like when we when we get down to the twenty, the game plan is just stick the ball with Saquon and just run it down the gut. So, it's got to be. It, it's we need to see more. He needs to make more throws in the red zone yeah. for sure. Um, I think that's a huge. Just scoring more points. Twenty two total touchdowns. Uh, is just not acceptable, especially when 15, is, 15 of them are in the air. Mm-hmm. Like Seven rushing touchdowns, great, but 15 passing touchdowns for a, a QB1 that we're paying $40 million. I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that. I need, I need more. Yeah, you can rack up all these yards, and yeah, you can understand that Saquon's the bell cow, but like, you got to do something, yeah. man. For sure, you can't be you can't be putting up quarterback two numbers. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, that's that's the bad with DJ. He definitely needs to work on that. And then there's this whole contract. What do you feel about the contract? So, I personally, like I, I mentioned it to you before we started, I think that the franchise tag was invented for a guy like Daniel Jones who for the first three years of his career was a solid, like, you know, there was always talks of like, well, could the Giants upgrade a quarterback with this guy or this guy? Like, I remember when Lamar first became available, like everybody was talking about, oh, what if him and Saquon, like that would be really nice. And then he has a good year uh, in this past season in a contract season after they declined his fifth year option. And Mm -hmm. especially at the quarterback position, you look around and you're like, man, do we really want to give this guy the top end money? Because when you're a quarterback, you're either getting paid as a backup 
a bridge level quarterback like the Jimmy Garoppolo type contract, or you're getting paid at the top of the market, regardless of you know how like close you are to Patrick Mahomes or whatever, you're going to get the top end market. And if they would have just tagged him, waited the year, see how he played, and then reassessed after next year, I know that you know there is some advantages as far as paying him before Burrow's contract comes up, Herbert's contract comes up, Hurts. Um, all those guys, Lamar got paid this offseason as well. You may have had to bump that number up a little bit, but at least you feel a little bit more confident in him moving forward. Whereas now, you know, you've signed the contract. I know there's some outs to it, but I think the tag is like, that's why the tag's here for a guy like Daniel Jones. So that's what I would have so done. Think, Go ahead. I was going to say, so you think we should have tagged Daniel Jones versus Saquon? Well, especially now, like, and I understand that you kind of had to with Saquon because the contract negotiations just, you know, you weren't there at that point. Um, and you mm-hmm. ultimately get him on a one-year deal, and this is going to be our transition into the weaponry here. But I think that if you – would have tagged Daniel Jones, got a one-year deal or whatever kind of deal with Saquon, I think you'd feel much better about the Giants long-term just because you know that you're not locked into Jones. I don't, what is the out? What year is the out for Daniel Jones? Uh, I want to say it starts, so it starts, I think, three years into the deal. So it's a four-year deal, $40 million a year average. Mm-hmm. Um, but his cap hit last year, and I think this is one of the big, one of the big, big things for the Giants that was – um, why I really, I actually really like Daniel Jones' deal because when you break it down by the numbers, it's actually a very team-friendly deal, mm-hmm. but can be very Daniel Jones-friendly as long as he plays well enough to keep around. Mm-hmm. So his salary is his cap hit last year was only nine million, um, which was which was big for us mm-hmm. considering we did not have much cap space. Um, Thank you, Gettleman. On top of that. On top of that, um, there is also, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, I think after year three, his cap hit drops to like, I want to say it's in the teens. I have to look at the numbers exactly. And, and then after that, that last year, his cap in the fourth year of the contract, if we decide to cut him, it's only $6 million of dead money. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, um, that's... And also so his salary. Yeah. And also his his salary increases as it goes on. So the longer we are inclined to keep him, I think the most we pay him is like forty seven mil. But that's after the cap has increased a couple more times in like twenty twenty six. So in twenty twenty seven. So I'm I'm really all right with that. And I think we paid Daniel Jones a fair amount of money. As far as you know, forty million seems like a lot, especially before all these newer QBs sign their deals but as soon as they sign their big deals I mean he's still going to be getting paid the same much like the same as Dak Prescott and honestly based on how Dak's been playing the past couple years oh I might have to stop you there buddy <laughs> I, it's I, like it's like I don't know that I would I would maybe I would maybe pay them roughly the same. Maybe Dak gets a little more. Maybe money you get the like the youth bump for Daniel Jones. So the the dead money yeah. thing is eighty two million if you cut him after this year, sixty three million, and then it dumps down to eighteen after year two. So like mm-hmm. if he's really bad over the next two years, I think the Giants would be willing to eat that eighteen and cut him, and then it's nine after year three. Uh, but the really the first out is after year two. But. All right, so we're going to head on to the playmakers now, and this was obviously a big, 
topic of conversation was, you know, are we going to get Saquon Barkley this year? Are we not? You know, they got the coalition of the running packs forming together uh, against the teams to try and get them uh, more long-term contracts, more money on their contracts. But Saquon Barkley, uh, he folded, quite frankly, and got a one-year deal with the Giants, and he's going to be returning uh, the all of the fantasy managers that drafted early, all of the dynasty managers of Saquon Barkley, let out a nice, easy breath of fresh air there when they see that he's returning. Also, their big uh, acquisition of this offseason was Darren Waller. They traded a third-round pick that I believe was the Kadarius Tony pick to go get Darren Waller from uh, Vegas. Uh, the problem here is now the wide receiver room now, like the running back and the tight ends, if they were being ranked by themselves, they're probably in the top 10 for both of those groups. The wide receivers are the problem. This is one of the two or three worst wide receiver groups in the NFL in all likelihood. Isaiah Hodgins was a late season breakout for them last year. You have Darius Slayton, who's been sticking around here for the last couple of years, Paris Campbell, who had some, I, I, I wouldn't even say had some years in Indy, had some games in Indy. Um, they also draft Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee in the third round. And then they also have last year's second round pick, uh, in Wandale Robinson here. So who are you most excited about from this playmaker group? Uh, I think, I mean, it's hard not to be excited about Jalen Hyatt, right? Like I feel like in the third round, that was a steal, um, for the giants. Uh, I, I thought this draft went incredibly well. Um, but I think Jalen Hyatt, just as a speedster, we haven't really had a, a speedster with reliable hands. Yes, I'm looking at you, Darius Slayton. Um, you know, we haven't had a speedster who has really reliable hands um, quite like Jalen Hyatt, and I think he's going to be a good X weapon for uh, Daniel Jones. Paired with Isaiah Hodgins and then probably Wendell in the slot, I, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of – I think our offense is a very sort of – tic-tac offense where we'll kind of work you down the field um and then force you force you to play short with the dual the dual running threat alongside just like these these speedy little cutty wide receivers that are going to make you they're going to a tire out your defense and b um they're just going to make you pay like they're going to push you to the outside people are going to come in and it's going to leave the like the middle of the field wide open so uh i think jalen hyatt's going to be huge uh, and wendell robinson Obviously, Isaiah Hodgins, we only got eight games of him. Um, whether or not he stays consistent. I think it was four touchdowns in eight games. Yeah, so something like that. Like That's that's exciting. That's super exciting. Uh, we haven't had a, a really prolific touchdown score in a really long time. Um, but And then as a fan service, I'm so excited for Shep to be back. I just want one more good, healthy season out of Sterling Shepard. Yeah, I like... I, I think you need because, like we said, like Sterling, Sterling Shepard might be the only guy that you can confidently say when he's healthy is at least a wide receiver two on this roster, much less a wide receiver one. Like Darius Slayton, at times can be there. You know, we don't know what we're going to get from Jalen Hyatt. I think Wandale Robinson. I don't know if he just. I don't know if he has two skill set. I think he has a three skill set, and he can be a good three. But Shep, like I think when he's healthy, I think is probably the best wide receiver on this team. Uh, it's just a matter of him actually staying healthy. Like I was surprised to see him behind Slayton on the depth chart and behind Isaiah Hodgins on the depth chart. I think yeah, it might be Dave Ball playing a little bit to the guys that got him there. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that Shepard could 100% emerge as the starter here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I could see – I mean, Shep back, back when he would play alongside Odell, 
he I mean he looked like he could have been a low end one, like a very low end mm-hmm. one, but a low end like, like he a, has he like has a current this. day Giants one. Yeah, yeah, like a like a like a Walmart employee yeah. one. Uh, so he he's I mean he's he's got it. It's just those concussions and the ACLs and it's and he's getting older. It's you know I just want one more good season out of him. Yeah. Um, I think I think he's probably big, but I think they're gonna use they're gonna use Darren Waller as the wide receiver one. I think that's what we can expect out of the Giants this year. He's gonna line up in the slot or on the outside of a bunch. Um, because we have I mean we have Bellinger on the inside to block, mm-hmm. so. We don't. We don't necessarily need. I see a lot of two tight end sets coming up, and I see a lot of Darren Waller playing the X on the outside. Yeah, I do too, and I see them kind of using that that pairing the same way that uh, a lot of people project that the Falcons are going to use uh, Pitts and Jonu Smith with Jonu Smith next to a tackle, and even you know the, I don't think the Giants are going to do this, but the Falcons might even run Jonu Smith as like a wide tight end, Kyle Pitts is like a re- actual receiver, and then Parker Hesse is mm-hmm. a like a inline tight end. But I do think we'll see a lot of two tight end sets here. Darren Waller has a diversified enough skill set to the point where you can use him as a like fringe slot wide receiver. He's quick enough. He's going to create a lot of matchup problems with that because you're not going to put like these a lot of these teams running these smaller slot corners now on Darren Waller like you kind of have to put a linebacker on him he's got enough size to the point where you'd have to do that and Darren Waller's pretty quick too so you can't really do that either Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how they use him we'll real quick do you want to touch on Saquon before we move on to the offensive line uh yeah Saquon so I'm excited Saquon's back um you know I think I think I know I like the deal. I think it's fine. It's a glorified franchise tag uh, with incentives. I mean, it's it's like a million in incentives. And, um, what else? Oh yeah, two million dollars signing bonus. And then other than that, it's just the fully guaranteed franchise tag. Uh, but you know, I I I don't know about you, but if you want to speak on the running back market, since it's been such a topic of debate, and you know, what better what better point to talk on it than the person who's probably being mostly directly affected by it right now, aside from maybe Josh Jacobs um, and Tony Pollard. But, you know, I think the, the running back market is, it's, I mean, it's a travesty. Like there's no other way to put it. Like, but when, when we were going through those, those negotiations and why I think paying Daniel Jones, because 40 mil doesn't seem like it's going to be that much coming up because he's going to be, end up as like 10th most paid, which just seems fair to me. I could say he's in. I could say he's a fringe top ten, maybe eleven QB in the league. Yeah, I know. It's fine for that. Fringe, fringe top ten, maybe eleven, maybe twelve. I think is fair. Um, so if he's being paid as such, at a time where it was kind of an awkward time to pay him, I think that's fair. Um, and I, I, you know, I'd rather have QB stability than running back stability. The issue with the issue with Saquon is that, you know, you've got what one or two ACL tears, you've got, you know, you got injury history. You've got, um, he's getting older. He's twenty six. He's probably got, you know, four more years of shelf life left. Do you really want to? If you're the Giants, do you want to put yourself in cap hell, signing this man to a three year deal where you're shoveling out sixteen mil a year? just for him to tear his ACL in the first year. Yeah. 
And that is the concern. And maybe not come back. That is the concern with Saquon is we've seen him, like when he tore his ACL in 2020, if I'm right, 2020. Uh, And obviously, you know, he had the, like, where he, like, tweaked his ankle or something like that. Or was it 2019 when he tore it? And then he came back in 2020 and it was, like, really weird. Oh, no, it may have been, I think it was 2021 when he tore it against the Bears. Yeah. Um. 2021, because he only played 11 games. 2021 when he toured against the Bears, but he had, like, a high ankle sprain. Yeah, and, like, it took him a while to get back up to speed, and that's what you're worried about here is this offense, like, if you remove Saquon from this offense, we're talking about one of the worst offenses in the league. Like, this offense needs Saquon to be successful for them to be successful. And if you pay Saquon the money to the point where like, all right, well, we know that we need you for this offense. So we're going to pay you like it. And he's not there. And you don't have that money to disperse to, you know, a wide receiver one that they desperately need. Um, Like Mm -hmm. that's going to hurt this team a lot, especially when they go into a season with the game plan being set in place to the point where like, all right, this whole thing runs through Saquon. We need Saquon for this. That's where things get rough because like we've, you know, Daniel Jones without Saquon Barkley, we saw it in those years when Saquon was hurt. This wasn't the same Daniel Jones that we saw this past season. So they definitely need Saquon. And, you know, the running back market is its own thing. Maybe we'll like have our own episode about that whole conversation. I think it's I think it's gonna start dying down a little bit now that Saquon's got paid. I don't know how far apart the Raiders and Josh excuse me, the Raiders and Josh Jacobs are. I don't know how far apart the Cowboys and Tony Pollard are, but it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that works because, like, there is a legit argument to the point where you say you pay the player, not the position. Like, if you think that Saquon mm-hmm. Barkley, if you think that Josh Jacobs is that special, you do pay him because he is that guy. That doesn't mean that you have to go pay J.K. Dobbins, for example, who, like, there's a, you know, there's some rumblings that he might be sitting out due to a contract dispute. Like, I'm not a J.K. Dobbins believer. Uh, I know that some people are. I'm not paying J.K. Dobbins. Like, it's not like the same situation in the quarterback market where it's like, okay, well, we're, he's a good running back. We'll pay him at the top of the market. Like, you cannot do that because that's how teams get screwed up. But when you have a yeah. special player like Saquon Barkley that, when he's healthy, is one of the three or four best running backs in the league, those are the kinds of guys that you pay. But that it, it doesn't need to be generalized, and I think that's where a lot, it gets lost in translation a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's also just, you know, it's such a replaceable position. I mean, you look at the Super Bowl winners, all of these, all their running backs. I want to say none of them are being paid significant amounts of money in the past 10 years. I think, on Super I Bowl think the season. highest, I saw the graphic uh, of the last 10 years, the highest was Leonard Fournette in 2020 making $2 million. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you don't, you have all these, all these running backs that are, they're not really, they're not. Like you don't need a great, great running back. You don't need one. I mean, obviously the Giants. That's kind of how our offense is working. But in in the league today, it's 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 not like it's not a key element to a, a Super Bowl winning team. And also the thing about the Giants is that I think they're coming off of sort of cap PTSD with the whole Kenny Galladay thing, um, just putting themselves in cap hell for a player that just like gets hurt. Doesn't really That's got to be Didn't... one of the worst contracts in NFL history as far as like, like, it's not like, you know, sometimes you pay a player and he gets hurt and he just never is. And I guess he technically did do that. But like, 
the fact that how much they needed him and how much that was like, okay, this is just a perfect fit, you know, and like it wasn't like he was it was like a flash in the pan thing. Like he had been building up to that good season that he had with Detroit. Oh yeah. And then just poof. He's like just thunderstruck type situation where it's like doesn't know how to play yeah. football anymore. It was a it was a devastating reality, especially because I actually really liked Kenny Galladay from a fantasy perspective. So when we got him, I was like, "Oh, great, awesome! This is a sick wide receiver. He's going to do a lot for us." And then it he did nothing for you. He did absolutely nothing. He didn't even block. I was like, "What?" Yeah, like I think I saw one blocking highlight. <laughs> and that was that was as easy as blocking highlights are to find nowadays. And we only got one for Kenny Galladay. All right. Yeah, I always do. Heartbroken. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna keep moving here. We're we're at about the thirty-two minute mark, so we might have to uh, we might have to turn the jets on here a little bit. No, uh, no New York. That was not intended. All right. Offensive line. Uh, we're gonna start here with Andrew Thomas, who did break out this past season to become one of one of the better tackles in the NFL. I'd say he's probably sitting around that top five or six uh, area and. That's something you got to be really excited about as a Giants fan to have him here after it looked like for a while, you know, this is a guy who was picked at number four. Uh, you were hoping this would be your franchise tackle, and it seems as if he's become that kind of guy. And on the other end, you might have another franchise tackle here. We didn't see it in year one, but maybe it shows up a little bit later. You drafted him at number seven. That is Evan Neal out of Alabama. Didn't have a great rookie season. Uh, I still believe in the guy I talked about a little bit ago. He was my number three player in his class. So I really believe in Evan Neal and what he can do. Um, I think he's an ideal athlete. I think he's got solid pass protecting technique. I think he can use his athleticism in the run game as well. I just I think he's a really good tackle prospect, and I'd be really surprised if over a two to three year span he doesn't work out. You know, I could see it being very possible that he does have an Andrew Thomas like route where he takes a little bit to get there. But if he can become, I mean, even a little bit less than an Andrew Thomas level player, like you, this will be a top 10 offensive line, pretty much regardless of who you have in the middle. We saw that with the saints for so many years where they had Teron Armstead and they had Ryan Ramchek on either side. Like they were always a very competent offensive line because you have two bookend tackles on either end. You also add in John Michael Schmitz here as well, who was a lot of people's number one center. Was very surprised that he fell to the second round in like the last mock draft that I did. Uh, like the day of, I had John Michael Schmitz going to the Giants in the first round. So I was like, all right, that's you know, it, it may be a little bit of a reach, but they seem to really like him a lot. I'm pretty sure like that was like one of the most home run hits, and they get him in the second round without like having to trade up or anything. So I think that's excellent value for them. Uh, then you have Ben Bredesen, Bredesen, Bredesen. Okay, um, he's here. He's here as well. Uh, as is Mark Lewinsky, who came over from Indianapolis uh, the year before last. Uh, yeah, or last season. One season ago, um, I think he played. Season yeah, that was yeah. Uh, you got anything you want to highlight on this offensive line? So obviously Andrew Thomas. Um, that is just I. I had been waiting for him to pan out. I mean, all Giants fans, and I mean all Giants fans, have the same, and we we can all unify together on this one thing, and that is Eric Flowers hurt us. Eric Flowers made us all collectively very sad. So drafting O lineman is it's 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 like getting a heart broken and then immediately going back into a relationship and hoping that you're gonna get hoping it's gonna be different this time. No, he's gonna be different this time. Andrew Thomas, after his first season, 
we were ready for heartbreak. Um, but, you know, second season came in, he only gave up, I think it was like three sacks all year. And then this season he came in and just, he was a top three, top three tackle, in my opinion. Easily top three, only behind uh, the Chiefs. Or no, was it like Taron Armstead? I don't know. There's PFF yeah, grade I know two. he was. <sighs> Keep talking. It was Tra- 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 yeah, Trout Williams. Yeah, I don't know why Tra- I couldn't think of the best tackle Tra- in the NFL, but yeah. yeah. But uh, only behind Trent Williams is the only person that I think you can put up him personally for me this season. He was lights out, locked down, and he protects Daniel Jones's uh, blind side, which is so so important and probably a reason why we've seen Daniel Jones bumbo down um because he's not being you know ripped from behind um now i think evan neal uh that's my breakout player of the year i think we're gonna see a i think we're going to see a andrew thomas type um elevation to his game i think he they, it's it's not a secret that rookie tackles tend to struggle um, traditionally. I mean, there are a couple outliers there. What was it like? Didn't I think it was Darius? Yeah, we Hall had this well. like weird stretch where over the last few years, where we had Rashawn Slater come in and play like an All Pro tackle in year one, and then the year before that, we had Tristan Wirfs come in and play like an All Pro tackle in year one. And there was like the weird stat where like they both got drafted the same pick. The Chargers and Bucks were both seven and ten the year before. They got a new quarter. Like it was like this whole like big connection, and they both ended up being really good. And I really thought that Evan Neal could have been that guy because he was so refined. He just felt like like not like he wasn't like a like a project like he felt refined felt like he was almost a safe mm-hmm. pick you know even as the seventh overall pick and he just he wasn't really that good this past season you know and I don't know why I didn't like alter what Mitchell wrote for Ben Bredesen as the breakout candidate because mine is 100% Evan Neal I think Evan Neal is probably the biggest breakout candidate on this team much less this offensive line oh 100% I mean Bredesen yeah Bredesen is going to be. I mean, they obviously need help. Most of the sacks that the Giants face came from the mm-hmm. interior, so that's why I'm very excited for uh, the rookie uh, with John Michael Schmitz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm super excited for him. I mean, I think he's a plug and play type center. I think he's going to be great. Um, obviously, all rookie linemen struggle. Not a not a secret, but um, you know, I think he's going to do a good job at just beefing up the middle. But I think our breakout player of the year. Is 100% going to be Evan Neal. I think we're going to see a, quite a transformation this year. If not this year, then next year um, for him. I, think, I don't think he's Eric Flowers. He's His personality, it doesn't seem like he's phased by like the bright lights either. It seems like he's very, I want to get down, do the work, get better. And he seems very committed to that. So um, I'm excited to see where he goes this year. And I think the, off- the Giants are finally going to have a decent offensive line. Yeah. Which is, it's been 20 years of that. And like it said, like I said, man, it starts with those two tackles. Like, if you can get those two tackles, if you can get Evan Neal moving along towards being, you know, even halfway worth that seventh overall pick, you're talking about one of the best tackle tandems, if not maybe even the best tackle tandem, especially with that Saints duo split up now. Maybe talking about the best tackle tandem in the NFL and, you know, if John Michael Schmitz is a serviceable center, you fill in these guard spots with the average players. We're talking about one of the best offensive lines in the league, and that can make up for, you know, we have a lack of a receiving game. But, yes, we have the best offensive line. That helps the rushing game a lot for obvious reasons, and it helps Daniel Jones a lot because when you're able to – I think he's a guy that 
if he's got time, he's going to be able to deliver the ball, deliver the ball, and it's not going to be as much of a problem as if he's always getting hurried. Uh, and you know that helps make Saquon worth the amount of money that you're giving him if he's got a good uh, offensive line in front of him and he's able to create those big time runs that he uh, he is so great at creating. Uh, so moving on to the front seven, uh, where we're going to talk about another. Uh, rookie that they got from this past season in Kayvon Thibodeau, like I said, was my number two player in his class. I absolutely loved Kayvon. I thought that he should have went number one. I think that the fact that you guys got him at number five was an absolute steal. I think that we got like, it's kind of like voter fatigue with, uh, with like where like LeBron, for example, is like, he's the best player every year, but they don't give him the MVP for so long. Kayvon mm-hmm. Thibodeau was supposed to be the number one pick in his class. And I think everyone just got bored of that. and was like, Oh, let's throw Aiden Hutchinson in low. Oh, let's throw Trayvon Walker. And I, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau probably should have been that guy along. Obviously Aiden Hutchinson maybe showed why he deserved to be in that conversation this past year. He was very good as a rookie. Um, but I, think Kayvon Thibodeau, like, I would not be surprised if Kayvon Thibodeau long-term ends up being a better player than Aiden Hutchinson. You also have uh, Sexy Dexy in the middle there, was phenomenal last season. Another guy who really broke out was one of the top interior guys, according to PFF, was the top interior guy, tied with Chris Jones at a 92.0 grade, uh, was just fantastic was the best pass rushing interior uh, lineman last year as well so you're really excited about Dexter Lawrence this is your yeah this is your cornerstone on defense at least for the time being until we see more out of Kayvon yeah I I think the front the front seven is is just something to be super excited about it's it's definitely in my opinion the strongest sort of area of the Giants team I mean they were weak in the linebacker position and that was kind of what was uh, selling us throughout the season. I mean, that's that's where we're falling short to the Eagles. That's where we're falling short to you know Dallas. That sort of defensive area. That's where you see us being kind of losing our division is that linebacker core. But I think you know, like you said, Dexter Lawrence, animal alongside Leonard Williams is that's probably the best tandem in the league. Um, At least one. I I. I, I yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody who tops that, but personally, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I I, I have a hard time seeing a better interior pass rushing duo yeah. than those I two think, specifically. Like just off the top, Hargrave and Armstead in San Francisco, because Leonard Williams plays like that kind of like hybrid, the same way that Armstead does. But like mm-hmm. Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, that's about as good as you're going to get on most teams. Yeah, I, it's hard to top that, um, and if you do, good for you. Uh, but you know, and then adding adding Kayvon going into his second year on the outside, that I think we're going to see a jump from Kayvon as well, um, especially now that he has actual linebacker help with Okereke. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's Okere uh, I think it's Okereke, but th- you definitely could have screwed that up like ten times worse than you did. Much worse than I did. Yeah, glad I didn't butcher that. Uh, but you know, Okereke, and then you've got um, Ojolari if he can stay healthy on the other side. Um, I mean, even in limited in limited games, Aziz when he was playing, you could see a there was there was significant um, there's a significant boost to Kayvon's stats when Aziz was playing opposite him. I mean, other than that, we we have a bunch of no names other than um, you know those two real pass rushers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I'm pretty excited to see. I'm pretty excited to see you know all. Everybody play together, and then sort of a boosted linebacker 
of course, going to help sort of drive that front seven a little better. I think our secondary is great. I'm not worried about our secondary, although I saw a little bit of secondary slander on the graphic. Okay. We'll, we'll um, get there. We'll get there. We'll Let's wrap up the front seven and we'll move on because I'm – I'm not a I I don't know. We'll get to it in a second. But Kayvon Thibodeau, like I said, I is my is definitely the defensive breakout for this team. I don't know why Mitchell completely missed and I, I do have the authority to um to override him and I don't know why I didn't. I think I was just trying to get this graphic out, to be quite honest with you. I don't know why I didn't override and put Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, because those are two of my guys. Like I loved those two guys coming out of that class. I my uh I had Derek Stingley at one, which um, then I, yeah. I mean, and it, look, and I talked about this in the Texas episode. I still think that there's a world where Derek Stingley can be a top eight corner in this league. He just didn't look as good last year. And the fact that sauce was so good, just like nobody, mm-hmm. like if sauce was like an average player, I think we'd be talking about Derek Stingley a little bit better, but it's the fact that Derek Stingley got picked one pick before him and sauce was so good that that, you know, it makes Stingley look a lot worse, but I still it believe. Makes him look. So I still, I still believe in Derek Stingley, and then I had uh, Kayvon and Evan Neal. So maybe you know, maybe that just shows that these guys aren't going to be good, and that I don't know what I'm talking about. So who, who knows? Um, but I still, I think Kayvon Thibodeau can be a legit number one edge in this league, and I think Aziz Ojolari is the perfect edge too to go alongside him as well. Uh, you bring in Ashawn Robinson, who's a vet. Uh, Interior rusher, mm-hmm. Dexter Lawrence, like this is the highlight of this team other than the coaching staff, which we'll see in just a second. But let's move on to the secondary here for the Giants. And if you're wondering, I'm sure all of you were wondering why I'm wearing this Maryland hat. And it is because of that man right there, Deontay Banks, hashtag he a terp, uh, was the first round pick for the New York football Giants this past season, uh, was... You know, I loved watching him play. I got to go see him play a couple times last year. I think he's going to be really fun for the Giants. Um, and th- this was a needed position. Like, you have or- Adore Jackson here. You don't really know how many more years of productive NFL play he's going to be giving you. You got Cordell Flott here as well. But you're not, like, jumping off the wall about this cornerback room. Uh, then you have the safety pairing. I think losing Julian Love isn't going to hurt because Bobby McCain – you know, I think there's a world where Bobby McCain is an upgrade over Julian Love. Like, that could very well happen. I, I, I think there's a world. Bobby McCain had some very solid seasons with Washington. Um, and then Xavier McKinney here as well. I think he's one of the better young safeties in the NFL. I think you're really hoping mm-hmm. you see a jump from him this year. I believe this is year four or year three for him. I think it's... He came, he came in in the I same your... class as Andrew Thomas, right? Because he was a second round uh, pick. McKinney in that. came in. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So I think they took I think they took him at like 34, 36 yeah. or something. Yeah. So Overall. I think he's I think it's year four then if Andrew Thomas is in year four. So you really hope you see a breakout from him because since he was a second round pick, you don't have a fifth year option. You will be making a contract decision on Xavier McKinney after this season. But what are you excited to talk about with the secondary? Uh let's get right into Deontay Banks. Uh I mean Four three five forty yard dash, forty two inch vert, eleven eleven four broad jump. I mean, this dude is a freak. He's a absolute freak athlete. I am so so excited to watch him play, and I think it's it's great for the Giants because he fits into Wink's uh, sort of what he wants to do with the defense so well. Uh, to next gen stats, actually, um, I don't know if you need. He had the highest raw athleticism score 
more for all quarterbacks in the last in the last draft coming out of college. So he, he was like top 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 percentile, just pure athletic power. Um, and I think Wink is going to do a really really good job of sort of building him into a really good man corner. And as a lot of people know, the Giants they lead the league in man coverage because of Wink Wink's sort of style. You know, forty four percent of snaps. Um, were played in man coverage, so I think I think he really has the potential to become a true CB one. Um, do I think we're going to see the same sort of thing that happened with Sauce, where he's just really good off the rip? No, absolutely not. No, he's not. He doesn't have that raw talent there that Sauce does, where Sauce was able to just go to the NFL and just go straight into it. I think it's going to be you know a two ish year project, three ish year project, sort of like Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal. Um, really develop him in someone that's that can handle the Devontae Adams, that can handle the Cooper Cups, that can handle the Jamar Chases for the next for the upcoming years. You know, even in the division, they handle the AJ Browns, handle the CD Lamb, Terry, Terry McLaurin. Yeah, he's, he's got his work cut out it's, for him. It's, yeah, it's a tough division. It's a really tough division. So, um, you know, I I'm super excited to see what he does his rookie year. Every it's same thing as an offensive tackle. Rookie cornerbacks always struggle, but um, I'm excited for him. I think he's going to be really really good. Yeah. Uh, and then Xavier McKinney, obviously, I think he's just, you know, he was injured. He had the hand injury. I think it's his first year. He has a lot of had a lot of rest, not worrying about injury. He's going to come back and show people why he's one of those top young safeties in the league. Yeah, and I uh, like you know Deontay Banks. You know that's my boy. Um, I I'm really excited to see what he could do here in New York. You know his mirroring is really what got him you know a first round grade. He's so sticky. Mm-hmm. The thing that worries me though is the amount of press that Wink like the man the mirror ability is going to help him a lot because Wink runs a lot of man, but Wink also runs a lot of press, and his press technique. Mm-hmm does need some work like that's the one thing yes. like if you were appointed something like if he's going to be a man-to-man corner like you're not going to say zone coverage because that's not really what he's going to be doing here if there's something that needs work it is his press technique and i think that over time he can get that figured out you know wink also developed um marlon humphrey into the press corner that he is so i think that you know deontay banks i think is a far better athlete than marlon humphrey and if he can figure that out you know, this he has all the potential in the world. Um, I did have him as my CB four behind Joey Porter, uh, Christian Gonzalez, and um, Devon Witherspoon, but definitely in like it's like a humongous tier gap after Deontay Banks to the next corner in this past class. Yeah. Uh, I did think it was funny. Uh, PFF's pro comp for Deontay Banks, Eli Apple. So that's a fun one. Got it. Got to get excited. <laughs> Oh, no. Deontay. <laughs> not, not Eli. Uh, but oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, but. I mean, hey, he's a Terp, man. He's gonna be awesome. It's weird. The Terps don't. The Maryland doesn't put a whole lot of guys in the NFL, but the guys that they do put in the NFL are very good. So, Stephen Diggs, yeah, Diggs, DJ, I mean, and Gakwe. Darnell Savage had his years of being a solid player. The problem is the Steelers have drafted like four or five Terps over the last like eight years. None of them have been good. We get all the bad Maryland players, and everybody, like every other Maryland player that gets drafted, is great, and it's really frustrating. But it's great. You know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be we're gonna be putting a lot of guys in the NFL here in the future, man. Locks got it on lock. Uh, 
All right, yeah. moving on to the coaching staff here. Uh, this, I honestly think this might be our most one of our most controversial rankings. Like as I was putting it together, we have the Giants coaching staff ranked sixth. Um, I can't list the teams that is some of the teams that they are above, but some of the teams that we've revealed already. That's in front of Sean McVay, as you know, and the mm-hmm. Rams coaching staff. That's in front of Mike Rabel and the Titans coaching staff. It's right behind Sean Payton in Denver. Like this puts Brian Dayball in the elite of the elite tier amongst NFL coaches and amongst NFL coaching staffs. Uh, obviously, I, we talked about it. One coach of the year in year one led them to the playoffs after a what five or six win season the year before. Mm-hmm. So, you know the. You see the before and after. You see the A and B. Brian Dayball was the really main addition there uh, as far as the difference in wins. Uh, I think what he brings schematically is fantastic. Uh, obviously was able to build Daniel or build Josh Allen, has built Daniel Jones up to a level that we haven't seen him play at so far in this career. In his career, his passing concepts are so creative. The stuff that he does to scheme those guys up, especially those wide receivers that we know aren't the most talented to get those guys open, I think is extremely important. You also have Wink Martindale here who's, you know, when you're talking about guys that run man coverage pretty much so specifically this is about as good as you can get. So one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL, Mike Kafka here as well, uh, did some pass game coordinating in Kansas City for a while. Was kind of like, I know Enemy gets a lot of the credit for the red zone stuff. Kafka had just as much of a hand for the years that he was there in the red zone stuff as Enemy did, or at least he helped Enemy a lot, create a lot of that red zone stuff. And I think that's why, I, I don't know, I can't seem to figure out why the, the Giants have so much struggle in the red zone. Maybe it is Mike Kafka. Maybe we need to drop this team down a ranking a little bit. But what are your thoughts on the coaching staff? I mean, I think Dave's is just an absolute beast. Dave's is, I mean, he single-handedly is turn the franchise around alongside Joe Schoen. I think adding both of them um, was such a huge win for the Giants and the organization. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, Kafka, as far as, as far as, I, I do I do agree that they, they are an elite coaching squad. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to get that twisted. But I think if there was a weak link, I think it's probably Kafka. Well, and the best part about that um, is he doesn't call the plays. Like you're, it's not like this is a defensive coach, and you're like worried about Kafka as an offensive coordinator because he's the guy calling the plays. Like he's just kind of like a pass game coordinator. He's a coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he does his job well, but like he's not the, he's not that offensive coordinator that you can give that extra responsibility to mm-hmm. to kind of like take over the offense and help. Um, but I do like Dabs because Dabs is that guy. Dabs is the guy. I think he makes up for it. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, and I think the other the other big thing for the Giants is that the stability for Daniel Jones is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't really had that stability. He went through several head coaches in his first three seasons, um, first two seasons, and now we're actually going to be able to see sort of a a a ability for him to grow under a similar system, so he doesn't need to learn a bunch of new stuff. Well, yeah, he gets he first. gets to go into an off season and like, okay, we're running the same stuff this year. Like, I I can build on what I have as opposed to starting fresh again and learning everything. And I I do think that that's big for Daniel Jones. And I think I think it's gonna I, it's another reason I think we're gonna see a little another boost in his statistics and things like that. Um, and, you know, I don't want to drone on forever, but I just think Dabs and his ability to use what's available to him. 
to the best of their ability. He, this is the first time we've ever seen Daniel Jones really be able to explore the run game mm-hmm. and be a really, really relevant in the run game. So I think that's that's a super, um, a super good opportunity for the Giants going forward that Dabs really opens up the, the true potential of every player he has on the field. Yeah, and I, I do think that that's one of his best qualities to like be like, okay, look, we have a guy that can, we have a quarterback that can move. Let's use that to our advantage. You know, we may, we can't do the drop back passing stuff and let our receivers win all the time because, you know, that's just not what they're going to be able to do. That's not the skill sets that we have here. Let's try and scheme them up. Let's use the run game to scheme them, scheme them open. And, you know, that's very valuable to have in a head coach, especially as an offensive play caller. Another thing, like, I know that I don't want to, like, pick, like, individual moments and be like, okay, well, he's a great culture guy. Like, the uh, the video that went around, uh, I can't remember what week it was, but it was like, Dable was like, all right, do you guys want to go for it? Like, do you, do you want to go for this? And, like, that culture being established, like, that's one of the main reasons why we have Pittsburgh so high. It's like Tomlin has a culture established in <laughs> Pittsburgh that – you know, he may not, he's obviously a defensive minded coach, so he doesn't have like the schematics and stuff that the off these offensive guys do, but he has that culture. Mm-hmm. I think Dable has that same thing. And like, if there's an argument to be made as to why they're at six, like ahead of a Sean McVay is the fact that to go with his schematics, which are obviously great as well. He is establishing a legit culture here in New York that they haven't had in a very, very long time. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, Dable, I mean, he's not like, McVeigh, but he's also not like Tom Coughlin, where he's like 170 years old. So like he's he can kind of talk to these guys like they're you know, you know, not like it's your grandfather. Like he's much more relatable to players in a way, um, and I really do think that helps build up the culture here in New York. And that's like if there's a reason why you're high on New York, I honestly do think that it's the coaching staff. Yeah, and I mean you can see it come through in just like the way that they play in any sort of honestly any sort of mic'd up moments i know this might seem a little ridiculous when talking about you know how good is this coaching staff but when talking about the culture looking at the mic'd up moments look at all the stuff that happens off the field um with the giant with the giants pr team puts out things like that you can feel the culture mm-hmm. in all the videos and stuff there's there's definitely a an almost family kind of feel i mean it's a team that struggled for so long so that players that have been there for a long time finally starting to succeed and see everything pay off they they trust brian dable and brian dable trusts his players and i think that's the big big thing they they trust each other and it's built this sort of winning mentality and i think that's something that's been you know that got lost when you had the um oh what's his name Landon Collins mm-hmm. of the and then OBJ's on his way out you know it's one of those things that like that 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 culture kind of got lost mm-hmm. you know Ben McAdoo's not in there building a culture for any judge not building uh, a culture not, but Joe Judge I knew building I a, knew that things were going to change in New York it was that video like when the coach arrived I think it was like right when he got hired and he like hopped out of his like brand new pickup truck and the full suit on I was like all right this guy's got like he's just like he's got like that moxie like you see him I don't know if he's like yelling at a ref but it kind of looks like he's like flexing he's getting hype like he's he mm-hmm. Dable's with it man and uh, that's yeah. that's like that's why I think if you have if you are optimistic about the Giants it's because of this staff really I believe all right I, moving I'm with you yeah, and the young players yeah and the don't and the young the guys young. and the young guys all right moving on to the schedule here. 
And if there's a reason you're pessimistic about this Giants team, yeah. you're uh, you're looking at this schedule. This is your third ranked strength of schedule. Now, obviously, strength of schedule is based on last year's win percentage, but man, it is a gauntlet. Um, you're obviously it hurts to look in at. this division where you have two of the three best teams in the NFC. You have Philly. You have Dallas. You have Philly in two of your last three games. So if the Giants are sitting there at like seven and seven even, you know, eight and six or like six and eight. If they're six and eight going into week 16, season might be over. Like, that's what you're talking about here. Like, there's, I mean, you got the Rams in there as well, but maybe they figured it out by week 17. On the flip side, everybody could always already be hurt and their season's been over for months. But heading in, you got to go to Philly in week 16. You do get Philly at home in week 18 and maybe, hell, they've already locked up the NFC by that point, so who really knows. But you're also playing the uh, the AFC East, which you can argue is probably the toughest division in football right now. Like we talked last season about how the AFC West might be the greatest division in sports history, and in just one season, the AFC East might be better than that, just like that, and we found a replacement for it. Um, you also have the uh, NFC West, where you've got San Francisco, you got Seattle. Man, this is a this is a gauntlet, man. It's a tough. Um, it's a tough. So the over under is set at seven and a half wins. First off, do you think that's a fair line? I think I think that's a fair line. I think that's a pretty solid line. I think the Giants. My projected win total for the Giants, if all goes well, if all goes well, and we play our hearts out. A projected win total is probably eight, so I think that's a good line. Okay, I think it's a pretty if you good. Play your heart out, and it. all goes well. You clear the line. And by all goes it. well. There's a couple fifty. There's a couple fifty fifty games that I think we mm-hmm. can we can win in there. You know, one being the Rams, one being Seattle. I think we could take one from Dallas if we're playing our hearts out. You know, it's. I think I, obviously we have our two free wins from Washington. Um, sorry, one win, one tie. If it. If, if they decide they want to show up that day, um, but you know, you, you, I don't, I don't see. I mean, Philly's such a beast. I, I doubt we take one from Philly. I mean, the Cardinals are probably a win. Um, yeah, like I'm then, looking at the schedule, and like I look and I see, like you know, with some teams, you look at it and they're like, okay, that's a guaranteed win. I see one guaranteed win on the schedule. And that's the Cardinals without, you know, Kyler Murray. If they played the Cardinals in Week 10, you probably wouldn't be saying that's a guaranteed win because Kyler Murray could be playing by that point. Week 2, he's not going to be back, so that's probably a guaranteed win. Everything else here, like, are they favored outside of it's like the Rams at home, the Packers at home, and they're probably favored against the Patriots at home. And It's a bunch of 50 Yeah, like they're, they're favored in maybe four games this year. Like, honestly, uh, the Raiders will be favored if they're at home, but since it's in Vegas, the Raiders are probably going to be favored. Whew. Yeah, man. It's scary, but this is still this is still the same team that eked out a win against the Ravens. Mm-hmm. This is still the same team that, you know, it, it, they were playing, they were punching way above their belt. You know, they they I, you can say what you want about Minnesota's defense, but to beat Minnesota in a playoff game and to also almost beat them in the regular season um, – that's a that's a what, a, how many like twelve win team, mm-hmm. thirteen eleven win team thirteen. Now the thing was wins. so, and I, I was kind of going to save this. Well, I'll save it. I'll save it for the next one. Go ahead. But it's it's just you know I, 
this is a team that likes to punch. They like to be the underdog. They like to punch above their belt, above their weight class. So I, I think to count them out is silly to say that it's like, okay, they're, they, they're going to only win like five games because that is what it looks like. It looks like five, six wins tops when you're looking at that schedule. And that is if we eke one out on Dallas, like in week one. But, you know, we've only gotten better since last season. And last season we were still giving a lot of good teams a run for their money. So it's... Yeah. I So I thought... This was the point that I was going to hit. I thought that the Giants overachieved last year. Like, I, I think that that was generally, like, amongst the media, a lot of people, like them and the Vikings specifically... And it was weird that they matched up in the playoffs. I think both of those teams overachieved last year. Now, I do think that they got better. Mm-hmm. Which is why I find it hard to believe that even with the much tougher schedule, and, you know, they did get some games where they, like, you know, against the Ravens, where they they got, like, a forced fumble when the Ravens were had, like, a, I don't know, like a minute and a half left uh, and up by four. Like, they get a force, like, wins like that that don't come by very often. But I, for whatever reason, man... I can't see them only winning seven. I just I think they're such an eight win football team. Like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I think I'm gonna go over. I think I'm gonna hit over. I as can't well. believe this. I did not come into this I, episode. It's just thinking it's I was gonna, gonna be that. just over. It's a good line. It's a very it's good, a good line. Because if it was eight and a half, I'd be like, oh yeah, the fuck that under. Yeah, Jesus under. Christ. But yeah. damn, fucking Vegas. All right. I think it's just yeah. All right, moving on, we're gonna wrap it up here with the final rankings uh, portion of it and the championship window as well. So obviously the Giants are 16th overall. Do come out as the 27th ranked offense. I think that can be attributed to the playmaker. We used offensive play calling as a tiebreaker. Like if you're between, we're good. Um, about as like a tiebreaker between if you have a tie between this and another team i guess that didn't really happen a whole lot because i do think the giants are winning pretty much every tiebreaker as far as offensive play calling goes but still have them coming out here Mm -hmm. 27th you've like talked me into it like i was ready to come in here like guns a blazing like this is so stupid you had them above my fucking steelers like this is dumb um but you've kind of talked me into the giants a little bit so I'll give you that. Uh, we do have their defense at 18th, which is much better. I guess you could call that the strength. You got the coaching at 6th, which I do think is what ultimately moves this team up. I will point out that the Steelers were higher in offense, defense, and coaching. And we're still here, but who cares? It's, you know, whatever. It's a consensus ranking for a reason. Um, and then this is what I really wanted to talk to you about. So right now we have the championship windows closed. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Now, That's I fair. usually put I like a time frame because I've explained it on the show. So, the championship window, and I, I thought of, dude, I was so proud of this. I thought of this all by myself. Didn't didn't find it on the internet anywhere. Championship window is like a circle. And like right at the top, there's a little window that you're in. And once you leave the window, you got to go all the way back around to get back in the window again. Yeah. I think that two to three years away, I think is probably mm-hmm. where you're at. Like I put the Steelers at one to two because I think that Kenny Pickett, if Kenny Pickett takes a step, the year two step, (sighs) I think if Kenny Pickett takes the year two step, we could be in it because the defense is so good. The only problem is we're in the AFC where Kenny Pickett, even if he takes the year two step is still probably not a top eight quarterback in that conference, which is fair. 
No. Daniel Jones, the thing is, I think Daniel Jones took a step. I think the steps happened. Like, we're in year four now. He just got his money. He was in a contract year. And if you get this Daniel Jones for the rest of his career, that's probably fine. But I don't know how much better Daniel Jones gets than this. And that's my problem, and that's why I think we're two to three years away, and that's two to three years of hitting your draft picks everywhere because now you're paying $40 million to your quarterback. You're paying, uh, you know, at least for this year, you're paying $10 million to your running back, and the problem with that is the strength of this offense is that running back who's in year five now or going into mm-hmm. year six, right? Because they that was last year was the fifth year option year. He was a 2018 draft pick. Yeah, he's going into year six. Yeah, and yeah, that's the strength of this offense. What happens if after this season Saquon leaves? Like that resets your championship window. You're now talking about maybe three to four years away. So you've really got to hit your draft picks, and that's like the long term. You've convinced me on the short term for the Giants. I don't know if you can get me on the long term. It all depends on Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. I think for the offense, like it, I think, I think 27 offense is disrespectful. I'm just gonna put that out there right now. I think that's crazy. You've, disrespectful. you've, conv- you've I, convinced me. We, sh- we probably should have had the money. I think 20 is reasonable. I think 20 is very easily reasonable, but I think, I think 27 is unbelievably just put that out there. Um, but no, I think I, I agree with your championship window two to three years. We got to hit the draft picks, build, build, build a little bit more and we'll be good to go. All right, so the offenses that we have in front of the Giants, we have the Bucks. I think the weapons you've got there, I think your view of the Giants offense is based on the idea that Daniel Jones is a 12th best quarterback in the NFL. And I just don't know if a lot of people are there yet. That's like right. if That's Daniel right. Jones was the 12th best quarterback in the NFL, I, no hate. But like if he was there, I think they'd be a little bit higher. We have the Bucks in front of them. We have the Panthers in front of them. The Bears. Well, here, let's do the teams behind. Rams, Colts, Titans, Patriots, Texans. I think all those are behind the Giants. Rams, Colts, Titans, Patriots, Texans. We okay. didn't adjust the Titans offensive ranking since they got Hopkins because like we don't have like that little sidebar where it shows where they're at, so it just didn't feel like there was any point um, to do that. Uh, I also, I, personally, I don't think it changes too, too much. Too, too much. I, I mean, Hopkins is I had this it. argument with Kane. Like, I don't think this is a Julio Jones scenario. DeAndre Hopkins was a monster down the stretch last season with Colt McCoy as his quarterback. Like, I do think that, and, you know, it moves everybody down a peg. Traylon Burks becomes a two. Westbrook Akina becomes a three. Things like that. Um, Derek Henry's three again. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, so we got Bucks in front, Panthers in front, Bears in front, Commanders in front. Falcons in front. I think, okay, if I were to sit down and reconsider everything, I think it stops at Atlanta. In my opinion. Dude, I, lo- I think, I, I don't know if I, you caught the Falcons. I don't know episode. if I can justify. I think B. John Robinson is the best running back in the NFL right now. Like, I think that as soon as he starts playing, he's going to be the best running back in the NFL. And if they have that with Arthur Smith, who... I thought we were extremely unfair to their coaching staff. Like, I think Arthur Smith is a legit, very good offensive play caller, especially with scheming up stuff for the run game. The thing where he lacks is that day bowl where he has the culture. I just think he's so far behind on, like, the culture stuff and, like, being a head coach stuff that I think that's where we were unfair. Okay, Packers, Cardinals, Raiders, Steelers, Broncos, where are you stopping me? Okay, let's go. Let's go one at a time. Let's go one at a time. Who's right above him? Bucks. Oh, 
I, who do they have at quarterback? Who's throwing? Like, I understand that Daniel Jones isn't like – even if you said Daniel Jones was a top 16, put him at 16 because okay. wherever you have him is disrespectful as hell. Of course. But uh, let's, put him, let's put him roughly middle of the pack quarterback, 14. I think that's fair. 14th best QB as far as all-purpose purposes. Okay. Let's do You're this first. Kyle Trask, let's do this first. Baker it's, it's, it's Baker, but let's do this first. Mahomes, Allen. Burrow, Rodgers, Lamar, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Jalen Hurts. Then we go down a peg. Here, let me actually help myself a little bit. Um, just by being able to remember the names. Watson's Kyle. still in front. Kyler's still in front. I think Tua's still in front. I think Dak is in front. I think Kirk is in front. I think Stafford, depending on the day. Mm-hmm. We're now at 14. Yeah. Then so we the get 15, into like... 16. Gino, Goff, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Daniel Jones might be in that tier. He's I think he's upper end of that. The tier. fact that I okay, the fact that I had him below Jordan. You've you've really talked me into the Giants here, man. I think I think you might want to look into this as a career. Yeah, we'll see about that. Um I mean, I I could talk all day about the Giants. I think Daniel Jones really is He's more just we're a run first offense, so he doesn't get the respect he deserves in that regard. He loses out on stats and statistics, so he doesn't look as good as he could. But as far as doing his job on the field, I think he is I think he's upper tier of that golf. I, I seriously put him at fourteen fifteen, really. Okay. All things considered rushing, the dual threat, what he brings to the field, the issues he provides for the defenses. And the fact that he does have, as much as he doesn't get to use it, he does have a very pretty deep ball. And that's a threat that you need to kind of – he has never had that wide receiver to go out and get it. But if you look at all the deep balls that get dropped by Darius Slayton, they are right in the basket of his hands. And Darius Slayton just drops it. He's, he's not an athlete. He's scared of big moments. You know, he just drops the ball. And, uh, up, man. I, I, I've had my heart broken too many times by that guy. Um, but here's the deal. The fact that the Giants are ranked twenty seventh. Okay, so is, let's let's play that. You just say you say if the, you think the Giants are higher, just say yes. If you when you're ready to stop, just say no. All right, Bucks. Yeah. Yes. Bears. Yes. Panthers. Yes. Commanders. Yes. Falcons. Yes. Okay. Uh, Packers. With Jordan Love. Yes. Uh, Cardinals. The Cardinals are like the weirdest team to rank because we it's a matter of how many games Kyler Murray plays. If Kyler Murray plays yeah. 12 games or whatever, then you're probably saying no. If Kyler Murray plays four games, then yeah. Who's their wide receiver one right now? Hollywood. And then it's Rondale and Greg Dortch and my guy Michael Wilson. Tentative yes. Tentative yes. Tentative yes. Okay, Vegas. What, Garoppolo with Adams? And Jacobs. I think you could probably put him on that tier. Who's above Vegas? Pittsburgh. <laughs> We're better at quarterback than Pittsburgh is, but ah, everything else. Guy. But everything else, I think it's I think it's I think Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh, that sort of area is where we, we draw the line. Okay. Alright. I think I think we're on par with Pittsburgh's offense, maybe a little worse. Okay. 
I'm glad we. Had. The thing, and the thing is, and we talked about this yesterday. I think the the primary difference between Daniel Jones and Kenny Pickett is the difference between uh, Brian Dayball and Matt Canada. Matt Canada is like legitimately when I tell you this, and I know that it's easy to do this as a fan, and you just point the blame at the offensive coordinator. Matt Canada is the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL. I don't know how he returned. Like there, I saw like a ranking the other day, and it was like ranking all the the ranking the best play callers in the NFL. Matt Canada was dead last. Matt Canada is the worst play caller in the NFL. Brian Dayball is, you know, conservatively speaking, a top eight play caller in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's the difference. I think if you put Kenny Pickett in uh, New York, I think you see a lot of the same things you see with Daniel Jones. If you put Daniel Jones in Pittsburgh, I think you see, I I wouldn't call what we saw from Kenny Pickett a disaster, but I, I think it wouldn't be pretty. Well, let's let's run through the stats of oh Kenny boy. Pickett really Here quick, just just because hey, I this I wrote fucking down. guy. Okay, and I commend I him for bringing his stats to the table. He's got a notepad, like eight miles long, of statistics. Yeah, I, he dedicated a page sure, to Kenny Pickett. I made sure. I made sure. So, Kenny Pickett. Let's just compare the stats this season alone. Daniel Jones was sacked forty-four times. This, and I want to I want to preface this with you say that Kenny Pickett and Daniel Jones are the same. I think they're relatively the same. That's unbelievably disrespectful. Um, Statistically, they might not be, and that's because of the play calling. But I think if you break them down as a player, okay. they're very similar. In uh, Sure. In play style, maybe. Um, but let's, let's take a look at Daniel Jones' worst season where he played 11 games. He only played 11 games. And Kenny Pickett, last year, to his credit, he was registered for 13, but he only played, he really only played 12 because he had one game where he had like one he pass. He really attempt. only played, so he played, he missed the first four. He like came mm-hmm. in at like halftime in the Jets game. So I don't really count. Well, he, he yeah, 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 but he also missed. He still threw three, he picks. He still threw three picks and a half in that game, but that's not neither here nor there. Um, yeah. Misses two yeah. games. And I think he, I feel like he missed another one for some reason, but uh, yeah, twelve. Yes, I gave him twelve games under his belt. Looking at the stats and going through and seeing how much how much time he played, I gave him twelve games. So in twelve games, we can we'll just say twelve games. In Daniel Jones's eleven games in twenty twenty one, he accounted for two thousand seven hundred twenty six all purpose yards, um, three hundred of those on the ground, twenty four hundred of those in the air, uh, and then as far as touchdowns. He accounted for had them somewhere. Or his first downs, he accounted for uh, 132 first downs. Kenny Pickett, in his time, in his time in 12 games, accounted for 10 touchdowns, three on the ground, seven in the air, and nine interceptions. He also had three fumbles, with zero loss. Uh, DJ in his career. Even as a rookie, never had a negative turnover amount. It was never he was never negative turnover to touchdown. Um, Kenny Pickett is technically plus one. He's plus one. But what but if I there. told you that in the last full eight games that or yeah, the last full eight games that he played, he was second in the NFL in PFF grade behind only Joe Burrow. Just, it happened. That happened. He also only accounted for 2,641 all-purpose yards. 
So 100 less than Daniel Jones in one more game. Okay. I'm not saying that Kenny Pickett is a bad rookie quarterback. I'm not trying to sit here and slander Kenny Pickett, although he has better pass catchers and a better offense around him than than the than Daniel, Daniel Jones does. And yeah, definitely in 2021. But again, yeah. I will tell you, Matt Canada is the single worst play caller in the NFL. Like I was watching like a Steelers breakdown the other day where they do it they they break the play calling down into tiers. Matt Canada mm-hmm. was in a tier by himself at the bottom. He was in tier I mean, six. It was like dark red. It was awful. I mean, he's awful. He's, he's terrible. Awful. There's no there's no Patrick. But, I guarantee I mean, you, Patrick it, Peterson runs a sw- jet sweep for us this year at some point, <laughs> just for fun. But you think? Do you think like Ben McAdoo was absolutely lights out as a player? He wasn't caller? lights like, out, but like he got an NFL no job point. as soon as he left the Giants. I don't know if I don't know if Matt Canada's coaching D one next year. That's a, that's fair. That's fair. But all I'm saying is Kenny Pickett's in a better situation. He's got better players around him, minus the play calling, minus the play calling. Um, but it still does less than DJ does. I'm not trying to sit here and slander Kenny Pickett. I'm just saying there's no way in hell that you put Kenny Pickett as equal to or better than Daniel Jones. I'm sorry. Right. It doesn't it doesn't that math ain't math. All right. Like it's not it's not it's not the same. I will seed for the sake of our runtime. Um I'll, I'll let you have it and I'll let history uh at Kenny Pickett's Hall of Fame ceremony. I will uh <laughs> I'll give you a call. But we're going to okay. we're going to get out of here. Um Peter, appreciate you for coming on, man. Really, really appreciate you helping us, helping us out here with the Giants. Hope to have you on again. Uh, but if you haven't already, and if you stayed for the Kenny Pickett, Daniel Jones argument, please, clearly you're a very dedicated watcher. Uh, please like, please subscribe. Please, uh, in the comments, tell Peter how wrong he is about Daniel Jones and how right I am about Kenny Pickett. Uh, and we will be back with our 15th ranked team sometime in the next day or two. So thank you guys for watching. We are out of here. Peace.